The following is a For the City Church sermon. We hope you enjoy it. It's great to be with you this morning as we, as we just celebrate the risen Christ um, as historical and factual, not mythological. Uh, I think it's really important that we separate those two because I know this, Easter, Easter is for Christians, but it's also for skeptics. Right? I know because I used to go to church services similar to this, and I was not a believer. I was, I was doing that uh, probably to appease somebody, right? to make somebody happy. They had asked me to go because there was going to be a magical thing that was to happen. The Easter Bunny was going to show up and give me candy or something. So I would go, and, and nothing magical happened. <laughs> I left, and I was still a skeptic. But I want you to know that Easter w- was for skeptics in the first century. And, and why do I say that? Well, because the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us in Mark 16, 14, it says, After he appeared, so after Jesus appeared to the eleven themselves, as they were reclining at table, listen, Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Now you've got to think about this. Jesus for three years is, is is walking with his disciples. He's living with his disciples. He's, he's breaking bread. And he's telling them over and over and over, I must go to a cross where I'm going to be executed. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the grave. And they're hearing this. And you're going to wonder, like, what did they think, right? Nah, he's kidding. Why would he say that? What a jokester this guy is. Because they all thought... Christ is coming because he's Messiah. Oh, and he is. But they thought in coming, what they were thinking in that moment was this. They were thinking he's coming to be king. And he is coming to be king. He is king. But their idea of king was ruling, reigning in Israel. Getting rid of Rome. Ruling with an iron fist. Bringing back the glory days of Israel. They did not anticipate this even though he had told them over and over this is what must happen this is what must happen and they didn't believe even the disciples hearing of the risen lord appearing to mary did not believe the most vocal of the bunch was doubting thomas right you guys know this guy he gives us all hope right you're like i sometimes doubt so did thomas he said this in john 20 25 he said unless i see his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, where the spear went, I will never believe. I'll never believe. I just, I don't believe your testimony is what he's saying. Mary, I don't know if the seven demons came and got back up in you, or what's going on. I don't know if you have some like trauma that's happening, that's causing you to say that you've seen this man, but until I see him, I'll never believe. Well, eight days later, when the disciples, including Thomas, were meeting behind locked doors. Why were they meeting behind locked doors? Because they were terrified. Because they just saw their leader get crucified, and they thought, well, I wonder what might happen to us. And so they, behind locked doors, Jesus just shows up, by the way. I don't know what to say about that. He's a physical man, and yet he just appears. That's something, a preview of our glorified bodies, but I ain't got much more to say than that. He said to Thomas, how kind is Jesus, by the way? I know Thomas, I know you're doubting. I'm going to come and see. He says to Thomas, he says, okay, bud, put your finger here and see my hands. And put, put out your hand and, and place it in my side. Go ahead, bud. Do not disbelieve, he says, but believe. By the way, I'm not preaching from John, but then Jesus would ask for a fish sandwich, right? Not really. But he did ask for some fish so that he could eat. Why did he do that? Not about John, but he wanted to show them, you're not dreaming. You're not dreaming. I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't eat. I'm eating. I'm chewing on this fish. I want you to see this. And and Thomas, to his credit, said this. He said, my Lord and my God. That day, doubting Thomas, we shouldn't call him that anymore, became believing Thomas. Fully. Fully, to the point he was willing to die, and did die, a martyr's death for declaring that Christ had risen. 
This is great news. This really is great news. I, I know because in this room right now, by God's grace, there are many here who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation. And you believe. Right now, you've come with anticipation. You've come with excitement. And you're here to worship and to adore Christ. But I also know that there are skeptics here, those who are not convinced of the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ, and you don't believe, and man, i got to tell you, I'm thankful you're here. I really am. I'm very thankful you're here because I had sat in many services like this. And so here, here's what I want you to know. Christ, man, if you ask him to serve you, he'd be glad to, just like he, like he served Thomas. But also know that there are those who are hard-hearted, and you've already checked out. You may have never even checked in. You just showed up today and you decided long before you ever got here, I don't care what you have to say. And you're just stopping your ears. My encouragement is don't do that. What are you afraid of if that's you? If you're not going to be convinced, at least listen. At least listen. Engage your mind over this next 45 minutes and think. Why? Because God can take a very skeptical person and turn him or her into a believer of the risen Christ. How do I know? Well, I am living proof, but I'm not, I'm just one of many. Christianity is the largest religion, movement, gospel movement ever. The fact that we're in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, worshiping the risen Christ 2,000 years later from getting up from the dust in Israel ought to blow your mind. Why? Because if you study history, many have claimed a lot of things. And guess what happened? Not much. Not much. Because their believers got snuffed out and they knew that their guy was still in the grave and they said, yeah, joke's up. Uh, we're just kidding. There was no benefit for these men and these women to declare that Christ had risen unless he had. But 1 Corinthians, the Corinth church is, is struggling too. I was very skeptical when I heard this. I used to be, I was a great mocker. I had jokes. If you hang out with me now, still a love language of mine, right? <laughs> I, I had serious jokes. I mean, I just couldn't believe that people believed in like what I called Easter Bunny Jesus, right? This like hopping around, just spreading good news of cheer. I'm like, you believe this? Like a dead man got up. I, I couldn't buy it. But the Lord opened my eyes to believe, to see, and to trust. And he'll do the same for you. If you will believe. <laughs> uh, it's such a tricky thing, right? It's like, well, no, prove it to me. No, it doesn't always work like that, right? As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, which we're slowly going through as a church, uh, there comes this place where there's a rich man, and he's in torment. And he says, go and, and, and save me. And he says, send Lazarus, this guy who's with the Lord, and he's at Abraham's bosom, and, and that doesn't mean anything to you. He says, send this guy to go to my family and tell them the torments of, of this place. Because they will believe this man if he has risen from the dead. And Jesus actually goes on to say, actually, if they don't believe the Bible, they would not believe if someone had come back from the grave to tell them the truth. So I want you to know that everything you're going to hear this morning is sufficient for you to believe. And you get nothing more. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. You have everything to believe right now. Pastor Kevin just took time to read 1 Corinthians 15. And in that is the truth you need to believe. But I want you to know, it's not a blind faith I'm asking you to have. Christianity is not built on a blindness like, oh, just believe, click your heels, come on, Dorothy. It's not that at all. As a matter of fact, it's well-informed. So, what I'm saying is, if you're here and you don't believe, I hope it's because you've put in work. Uh, because there's tons of work to be done. You can read historical account after historical account, and you can make a decision. But here's the thing. Often what happens is, in a moment of trying to convince people we love to believe, we get real serious about pragmatic arguments, real practical, right? For instance, have you ever heard of Pascal's Wager? There's this guy, he's a French 
theologian who's a mathematician, and he came up with this thing called Pascal's Wager. And here's what he said. He said, the evidence of God cannot settle the question of whether God exists or not. I can't prove it to you. That's what he's saying. So he proposed this, that you should bet or wager. By the way, this worked for me because I grew up in a family like we gambled every Sunday. Weird, I know, but like I showed up in my little change purse and we went to grandma's and we had fried chicken and it was phenomenal. And then when we were done, we'd just play poker, right? You'd put a, a dime in and you could bet a nickel, a dime, or a quarter. And that was big money for me then because I'd go down to the candy store and I'd buy penny candy and I always wanted to win. Well, Pascal, I, get, I like this guy. He's saying, if you're going to bet, you should bet. You should wager on God. Because what's at stake? And, and now he's thinking pragmatically, right? He says, you have a lot to gain if you wager that bet. Because if he's, if he's real, oh, well, then you're going to live with him forever, right? But if, if he's still dead in a grave somewhere, you don't have much to lose. That's, you get his reasoning? Now, to be fair, that's a cliff note argument of his wager. But, it, but it's... It's fair. That's a fair argument I'm presenting because that's the core of what he's saying. And you can follow his reasoning, right? Right? However, this kind of pragmatic approach to faith in Jesus is not biblical. Sorry, Pascal. I love a lot of the things he said. But, but that's just not biblical because it gives the impression that saving faith is a choice that you just say, ah, I'll say, you, I'll say you're real. That way if I die, I go to be with you. Right? But that's not saving faith. That's not saving faith at all. See, saving faith is seeing with the eyes of your heart that Jesus truly is stunning. He is beautiful. He is treasure. You adore him, and you can't do that. But Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can do that through the preached word of God. And he loves to do it. And he does it to people who say, help me see. Help me see. So all this is introduction. I'm asking you right now, if you're in Christ to say, Lord Jesus, this morning, help me to see how stunningly beautiful you are. How, so much more than I've ever seen right now. And if you are a skeptic, I'm asking you to humble yourself and to pray, to talk to God in the quietness of yourself right there in your heart. Lord, help me to believe. I want to believe. And if you're hard-hearted, we well, probably not even hear me anyway, but I'm praying for you. Because Jesus loves to rip out old, dead, stony hearts and place them with ones that will believe. Ones that believe. According to the Bible, though, this betting on God is not saving faith. It's just a natural thing. What we're asking for this morning is a supernatural thing. I went to church that Sunday that I did come to faith, and I was not looking for Jesus, I promise you. And Jesus sought me out, and he saved me, and I'm trusting that he will, can, definitely, does that even now. So according to the Bible, real, living, and saving faith is, is a gift. And it's created in a, in a dead soul to be made alive at the proclamation of the gospel. First John says this, First John 5.1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, listen, has been born of God. You must be born again. You and I can't do that. So that's what we're asking for. And by the way, he does this through the preaching of his word. So let's get into 1 Corinthians 15. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. So, whew, right? But we are gonna, we're going to take a little survey of it, okay? We're going to take a little survey. The first section I want to look at, I'm just going to read it in whole once again. Because I know the word of God is power. It is power. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, it says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Right. So in the past, this people did not love Jesus, received the good news by faith. Now he says, in which you stand. So your faith is present. You are trusting in Jesus right now. It's a past thing. It's a present thing. And then it says, and by which you are being Saved. And so there's a future element of faith. And Paul right now, is, he's, in this moment, he's writing to them in the present to continue to trust, to continue to stand fast in this faith, but also to know you're continuing to be saved. Well, I am saved. Yes, you are. 
Yes, you are if you trust in Jesus Christ, and he's maintaining that, and you will be saved. That's what he says. If. (laughs) Well, it doesn't work for my theology. Too bad. That's what it says. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He's saying that there is a meaningless belief. It's not real. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And here it is. First importance. You want to know what this whole thing's about? Ready? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried. That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And now, here you go. That He appeared to Cephas, or to Peter, and then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Most of them whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. He means taking a dirt nap. Right? They're, they're just, they're taking a dirt nap. They're not really dead, even though they're, you know, in the ground. That's what he's saying by they have fallen asleep. Don't think like regular nap. Think in the ground. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to, to me. You see what he's saying? He's saying, if you don't believe me, there's a lot of people who have witnessed this. I'm not lying to you. There's 500. Yes, some have died. But a lot of them are still alive. He's saying, go ask them. Go ask them. How many people does it take for you to believe something's true? I mean, oh my goodness. Finally, some people are getting edumacated on how to understand what's true on the Google. But how long did it take for that to even be a thought? We see it. It's true. It's online. It's on the Google. It has to be true. And it's, many times, it's just a lie. They can do a lot of things to make you think things are true. But if you were, if you were to say, man, I'm telling you, right now, you want to go to El Diablo because they have some amazing wood fire pizzas, right? And you're like, well, I thought we were Christians. That's the devil's restaurant. It's not the devil's restaurant. El Diablo means the devil. But they have wood fire pizza, and it's phenomenal, and you should go. It's expensive. Take your pocketbook. Tip well. Be kind. You're like, I'm going. It took what? One person to convince you? Christ is raised. That's such a joke. Give me a break. He says, go ask them. Go ask them. There there are tons of people that have witnessed this. This isn't an obscure thing. Go ask them. Go investigate. Do your work. And then he goes on. He says, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to even be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. By the way, Paul, Paul was authorizing Christians to be killed. Now he's a believer. Now he's trusting. Why? Because he had a real revelation of Jesus Christ. He had seen. And now this one who was willing to just have Christians killed is willing to die for the sake of the gospel to make sure that you can have good news here and believe. That's exactly what's happening here. And he's telling them that. He says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Do you get what he's saying? The life, the death, the resurrection of his, his first importance. Why? Because if Jesus is dead, lying somewhere right now, over in the Middle East, then Christianity's dead. It's dead. And what a joke it is that we're here this morning. Unlike Pascal would say, it's a joke. You, you have everything to lose if you're understanding the implications of the gospel. See, if Jesus is alive, though, then Christianity is alive. And if if that's the case, then that's no little thing. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of eternity. So whatever thought you've given to the things of your life, this of utmost importance that you consider what is being said here. And this is why the Apostle Paul, right now I'm telling you, he would never argue the way Pascal argued in that moment because easy or natural believism will not get you there. When, when, when Pascal says you have lots to gain and not much to lose, Paul would say this, wrong. Absolutely wrong. 
Yeah, it's true if you just kind of say, I believe, and nothing about your life has changed. I guess, yeah, okay, you give up some Sundays, Christmas, Easter, maybe one in between. Oh, but if you've met the risen Christ, it changes everything, and, and you've wasted your life. Don't believe me? He continues. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Notice these words. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as risen from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? So yeah, there's people in Corinth. There's people in this church that are saying, no, those people that are dead, they're not getting up. Nothing happening there. He's saying, how can you say that? How can you say that if there's no resurrection, then they don't get up? He says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, follow his reasoning, then not even Christ has been raised. That's bad news, right? And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he has raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have actually perished. If in Christ we have hope, listen, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Notice the phrases, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain. What you're doing right now, what I'm doing right now, is meaningless. And some of you would say, amen. So I know some of you say it right now. What you're doing right now, oh, I agree. Well, that's the first thing I agree with. Amen. But if you live a life devoted to Christ and you're sharing the gospel with people, your preaching's in vain. And what a, what a ridiculous claim you're saying if it's not true. He also says that if he's not been raised, your faith is in vain. It's meaningless. You're trusting in, what do they call them, the spaghetti uh, monster or sky monster. You ever heard of that? It's all right. Easter Bunny Jesus, I believe. It's so stupid. If he hasn't been raised, that's true. It's true. It's foolishness to believe in a dead man who says that he has gotten up, if he indeed hasn't gotten up. Verse 15 says, if Christ has not been raised, we're actually found to be misrepresenting God. You say you love God, but you're misrepresenting him if it's not true. Verse 17, if he's not been raised, then your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You're walking around thinking that you've been forgiven, but you are still under the wrath of God. If there is a God, you might say. Verse 18 says that if he's not been raised, then those who have actually fallen asleep have actually perished. They're really dead, and they're never getting up again. Well, what about grandma? He's saying, well, if he hasn't been raised, got no hope in that. And then he says, and if Christ has not been raised, in verse 19, then we are of all most to be pitied. Do you see why it's, Pascal's so wrong to say you've got not much to lose. Because this changes everything. Changes everything, right? Do you see how ridiculous the thought is then? You have everything to lose. Everything to lose if he's not been raised. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Savior. That's what's being said. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no hope of a resurrected life. There's no hope of eternity. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is reduced to yet another dead man, and therefore we actually have no real hope in this world at all. That's what Paul's saying. Plainly stated, without the resurrection of Jesus, a few billion people today who worship Jesus are the most gullible people ever. The hope of a resurrection life after this life is for silly fools and for those who trust in a dead man to give them eternal life, they are to be laughed at. They're to be mocked. And many people do laugh and many people do mock. But then 32b says this. If the dead are not raised then let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Some of that, that's your life mantra. I get it. Because if you don't believe in Christ, why not? And by the way, you can still eat, 
and you can still drink, and you can still enjoy life with God. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, if Christ has not been raised, then throw off all restraints. Live your best life now, because tomorrow you're dead, and there's nothing else. That's what he's saying. In other words, without a hope for the resurrection of Jesus being raised, to be enjoyed with Christ, to everlasting joy, then we all should tend to treat this place like a place where we should get as much pleasure out of it as we possibly can. Live for me, forget everybody else, do whatever you want, because there is no hope. But then verse 20 comes in like a lightning bolt <laughs> across a dark sky. I love watching storms. My wife gets nervous. She's like, what if you get hit? I'll go see Jesus. <laughs> I love it. I love watching storms. At our old home, you could see them. And it kind of made you a little nervous because you're up on a hill and the wind would, you know, go. But I love just watching the lightning bolt go across the sky. And there would be times, man, it would be close enough to make me a little nervous because it would light up our whole yard. Our whole yard. And you could see. Verse 20 is like that. It says this, if Christ has not been raised, he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. <laughs> Amen's right. Amen's right. Which, here, here's your point. We got one point today. We got a lot of other things going on. But this is it. If you're like, I, got, I can only pay attention for one thing. Ready? Jesus willingly and joyfully gave his life as a sacrifice for your sins. And then he was raised from the dead, securing our salvation. He has been raised. And so if that's the truth, and I'm banking my eternal life on the fact that that is the truth, then this is a great reversal of fortunes. And so now we've got to think a little bit, right? Because I never want you to think that like, this is a blind faith. Christianity is very logical. Paul talks in logic. So think, if those things were not true, then all you do is flip them upside down if it is true. Ready? Let's do that. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the apostles' preaching is true. The, the Bible is true. How much of it? All of it. And if, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, your faith is actually well-informed and secure. You should have great hope. You should have great trust. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the apostles are to be trusted. You are to trust the Word of God. If we can trust this, then everything else falls under that, and we can trust it all. Why? Because it's been held up to be true. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, listen, we are forgiven of our sins. How many? All of them. All of them. The Bible uses very stark language to make sure that you get this as far as the east is to the west. And if you can think about a line going in each opposite direction and it goes on forever, your sins are gone. Jehovah, no, no more. You're as white as snow. You're fully forgiven. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, we are to be envied. Now, you don't go boasting. You don't go boasting about, we should, oh, you should envy me. But Christ in his kindness has revealed the truth of this. None of you have figured this out. You still would not believe if it was left up to you to figure it out. Christ has, in his kindness, revealed the truth of this. And you believe this. And therefore, you're not to be pitied, you're to be envied. Since, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, listen, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are actually alive. Your loved ones who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation are more alive than you are right now. You might have a hard time believing that, but it's, a, it's an absolute fact. The question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? If you do, then I got some even more great news for you. So let's just continue. We're, just gonna, we're, we're really just taking a big old survey of 1 Corinthians. Because, oh, I hear it all the time. I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm trying to help your unbelief. 
The Bible was written to strengthen the faith of the saints. It was written for many other reasons, but, but let's look. So, if that's true, and it is, then here's a preview of the effects of the gospel in Jesus' resurrection for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-23 is teaching this, that those who trust that Christ has been raised from the dead at the second coming. Listen, for as in Adam, okay, back to the garden, those who are in Adam all die. And, and, and what he means by die, you're like, doesn't everybody die? There's two deaths. There's a physical death, and then there's an eternal death. And he's talking about an eternal death. Okay? If you're in Adam, there's only two, two kinds of race in this world, essentially. Those who are in Adam, those who are in Christ. Those who are in Adam are under God's wrath and die in hell forever without ever actually dying. Those who are in Christ have life. Life forevermore. And so it says this, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then his coming, those who belong to Christ. So Jesus has been resurrected as assurance for you that what? One day when Christ returns, you will be resurrected with him. You'll be resurrected with him. So now we can trust this, that Christ now magnificently reigns over the universe. Where do I see that? Verse 25 and 26. Look with me. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When people die, do you ever, do you ever think, man, I hate death? If you don't, you're a strange cat. You're just a strange cat. I, I don't get the idea of, wow, they're a believer, let's celebrate. No, you should weep. Well, but they're going to live one day and they're alive now. Weep now. Weep now. I have people tell me all the time, I don't want you to weep for me when I die. I'm going to. Sorry. Sorry. But that weeping will end. Why? Because Christ will once and for all rule, reign, and put death to death. Think about that. In the death of Christ, death was actually destroyed. But we've not experienced the, the, the fullness of that truth yet. Oh, but there will be a day that we will. Verse 42 through 44 says this, Our resurrection bodies will be imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. Look with me. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, think about a seed, planted, right, is perishable. What is raised, though, is imperishable. So he's saying, you go into the grave, and, and yeah, that's perishable. But at the resurrection, when Christ returns and resurrects your dead body, it will be imperishable. If it's sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it will be raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it will be raised in a spiritual body. It doesn't mean you'll be like some little ghost floating around, or angels, or little cherub with little wings and a harp. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means the spiritual is actually more real than the physical. You and I can't understand all those pieces, but there will be a day your faith that you believe by, by just trusting in this will be sight. What will that be like? Amazing. I can't say more because I don't know more. If there is a natural body, there's got to be a spiritual body, he says. We know this, living or dead, we shall be given new bodies in an instant at Christ's Second coming. Look at 51 and 52. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. He's saying flat out, it's a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and shall be changed. Two more things from our survey here. 54 and 55 is teaching that death no longer has sting and will be swallowed up in Jesus' victory. Since what, what then perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality? Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There is a day death will no longer reign. Because Christ will reign fully, finally, and forever. And He rules now. He rules now. 
But there's an already but not yet component. And you might wonder why. Why doesn't he just come back now? Because there's no doubt in my mind that right now across this globe, there are people who will come to hear the gospel and believe for the first time. And because God is patient, he waits. Why? So that more and more people might come to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, put their faith and trust in him and live with him forever. Why? Because he gets no joy in the death of the wicked. And he longs for everyone, including you, to come and to trust and to believe and to have life with him. Why? Because he's good. Because he's good. He is all-powerful. He is. But he's so good. He's so kind. And if you ever wonder, like, how do I know he's kind? We look to the cross. We look to the cross. You and I deserve God's wrath. And Jesus, in his kindness, came and received the wrath you and I deserve because of our sin in our place. He received it. He received the death you and I deserve to die so that we could receive life, life abundantly with God forever in heaven, in the new Jerusalem when he makes all things new. Why? Because he loves. He loves. And he's kind. And he's good. And so we see it right here, 56 and 57. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ it's saying Christ has suffered for our sin, but he's also satisfied the law for us. Do, do you get it? What Paul is saying here, the law was never a means to be made right with God. Oh, how many people are getting that message somewhere today. I mean, I hope not. But I just know it happens. Do better. Be better. Try harder. Clean yourself up. So that you can spend eternity with God. And what Paul is saying right here is you can't do that. Jesus didn't just come to make bad people nice. Nice is such a lame word. He came to make dead people alive. He came to make it so that you and I no longer have to, to, to attempt to attempt to obey all of God's commands so that God will love us and save us. No. In Christ, Jesus has done everything in his perfect life. He has lived a life that you and I could never live. He obeyed the law perfectly. So now we trust in his perfect life. We trust in his substitutionary death. We trust in the fact that, that because he had no sin, the grave could not hold him. He resurrected to new life. He rose triumphantly. And now we trust in him and we obey the law not to get accepted by God. And I'm talking big L law, God's moral commands. We obey not to get saved, but because we are saved. And now we have the gift of the spirit and therefore we can obey God. We can love God. We can love our neighbor. We can love the people around us more than we love ourselves. Why? Because Christ has done it all. It's finished. It's finished. But I, I have to do something more. It's finished. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Nothing. It's finished. He's done it all. What do I do? Believe Him. Trust Him. What more can He do? He's, he's risen. You're like, oh, it's the stuff of fools. No, He is alive right now, ruling and reigning. And He is, listen, He is sovereignly placed that you'd be here today to hear this message so that you might believe. Believe. Yeah, but i got to get all these things figured out. I still do these bad things. Believe. Well, but I should probably stop this. You probably should, but believe. Because you have no power to stop any of those things. Believe. But he won't receive me. He'll receive you. Believe. Trust him. Why? Because Jesus willfully, willingly, joyfully gave his life as a sacrifice for your sins. And God rose him from the grave. The Father rose him from the grave. Jesus triumphantly rose himself from the grave saying, oh, he's pleased. I've received this sacrifice. Jesus is worthy. It's finished. It's finished. 
He's alive. So that means forgiveness is proclaimed to you. This is the freedom that's held out for you. Freedom from the law. Freedom from death. Freedom. Receive Jesus. Believe Jesus. Embrace Jesus. This is the greatest news ever. The greatest news ever. And this is why no one... Listen, you cannot remain neutral. I I know a lot of people like to do that. You can't remain neutral when it comes to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Why? Because the claim is too staggering. You can't just be kind of like, ah, okay. It's too earth-shaking. No, this, the implications are too significant. The matter's too serious. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. There is no in-between. So decide this day, right now, do you believe? Because we must receive or we must reject. And to be just like, ah, who cares, is rejection in case that's where you're at. The reason I want to do this is because I don't want you to come Easter after Easter every once in a while, hear this message and say, oh, that was nice. Or, well, that was terrible. He seems like an angry guy. I'm not an angry guy. I want you to know the truth. I'm actually a very happy guy. I'm happy you're here. I want you to believe this good news. Why? Because God loves you. And I'm doing everything in my limited power to present the gospel with clarity so that you have everything you need to to make a decision to either say, I don't believe that. I reject that. That is not true. I will continue to eat, drink, be merry because I'm going to become worm food one day. Or I receive that message, oh, and and all the beauty of what that means. Life with God. Romans 10, 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But I don't want you to think that's some magical incantation. What, What does it mean to believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead? I want you to know it's way more than just some cold, hard facts. Yep, I believe it. Satan believes it. Demons believe it. Why? Because they were there when Jesus was raised from the dead. Satan saw it happen. He does not believe. So There's a way to believe that does nothing for your eternal soul. No, belief in your heart is... Is being confident that God is who He says He is. And that He has done what He has said He has done. And that He is for you. And that He is working on your behalf, transforming you from one degree of glory to another. And that He will save you for eternal joy, eternal satisfaction, happiness, and in His presence forever. That's what it means to believe in your heart. Oh, I know that to be true, right? See, the full effects of Jesus' resurrection will be seen one day following Jesus' return. There's coming a day when Jesus will rip open the sky. He will step into human history. He will raise the living and the dead. He will judge those who are in Adam to eternal and everlasting hell. And I get no joy out of telling you that. But He will raise those who are in Christ to everlasting life, eternal glory, to be with Him in the world the way it should have been. With no sin. Where He just takes and He presses out all the tears from your eyes as He smiles upon you. He, he wipes the tears that you have wept for good reasons. Horrific things may have been done to you and He wipes them away. He also presses the tears out of the eyes of the people that you've caused to cry. Because you're not innocent. If you live long enough, you're not just a victim. But everyone here at some level has been a victim of sin. But we've also sinned against other people. And we need our eyes wiped clean from all these tears. And He will do it. He will do it. That's why right now, listen, now I'm talking to the church. We live in a time between Jesus' resurrection then and his return. And in between that, we have a lengthy season of love. A lengthy season of love. A lengthy season of grace. 
of mercy as the gospel goes forward to people who may not have heard, inviting sinners to repent of their sins and to enjoy the present and future salvation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, listen, church, let us be found laying down our lives in glad submission to King Jesus. Let us be found being wrung out, giving ourselves in glad submission. It's, it's, a, it's a hard life. It's a glorious life. You die daily so you can live fully. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if you're like, I need more information on that. Please come next Sunday because we're in the Gospel of Luke and for the next eight chapters, Jesus is going to break down and unpack exactly what it means to be a Christ follower if you believe this is true. And even if you don't believe this is true, keep coming. Keep coming. Be a skeptic. Skeptics are welcome here. Doubters are welcome here. You're welcome here. Argue with us, not like in a mean-spirited way, but like, let's open up the... Yeah, I just don't want to get bit by one of you. I mean, like, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's open up the Bible. Let's work. I need more information. Great. That's a great place to be. Let's get together. Let's work. I want you to see. I want you to believe. I will gladly labor with you. There are people here that will gladly labor with you. And God will help you. Notice how Paul finishes out 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers. He's talking to those who are in Christ. He says, be steadfast. Don't quit. One step at a time. Keep going. Immovable. Don't move. You're like, I thought I had to take a step. Yeah, off the line. So he says, stand firm in the truth. Keep moving forward. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, for some, for some, it, it means Monday morning, retail. That's what it means. It's what it meant for me for like 18 years. Is that, is that the Lord's work? It absolutely can be. Right? Well, for some, it, it means higher education. i got to go get an education. Go. Do it to the glory of God. Whatever it is that the Lord has for you. If it means that you need to go and make something right and forgive someone who sinned against you and ask for their forgiveness because you sinned against them, then do that. Then do that. This is what it means to do the Lord's work. Have mercy on people. Show forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. Love. Why? Because you got to know this, that for, oh, by the way, for moms, I hear a baby. You might think, man, I, I don't know what I'm even doing. I'm just like a diaper machine. I'm just wiping snot. That is the Lord's work. And it's beautiful. You might have kids in school. You might have teens. Whatever it is, it's the Lord's work. And you can be faithful in it and know this. That in the Lord, your labor is not meaningless. This is not in vain. There's nothing you ever do by trusting in Jesus Christ that is in vain. Isn't that good news? There's times where you just, I feel like the guy with the ball bat on his head and he's just doing this, right? It's not in vain. Keep running, keep trusting, keep loving, knowing that the Lord will use this. Right? Like you shove a seed into the ground. Maybe you don't shove it in. You gently plant it. I don't know what you do. I just want tomatoes, right? So I just go buy them. I don't even try anymore. But here's what I do know. They don't just pop up right away. But the harvest is coming. It will bear fruit. That's what he's saying. It's not meaningless. You've never loved someone and it was meaningless. You've never shown kindness to someone and it was meaningless. You've never opened your home to someone and had it be meaningless. You never even shared just a kind smile with kind eyes to a barista or someone who's serving you food and it was wasted. God uses it all. See, be, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer knowing that God is for you and that He's working in you and He's working through you to bring people home. Why? Because He's so good like that. This, this afternoon, wherever you find yourself, and I hope you find yourself somewhere where there's good food and people who are enjoyable. That's my prayer for you. Know this, no matter what happens in this life, your eternal security, if you're in Christ, is more real than the chair you're sitting on. 
And so what can death do to you? Actually only bring you to a more real understanding of what you believe by faith right now. It'll be the best day of your life. Now don't go dying on me. We've got things to do, right? But know that. Know that. And anything you do by trusting in Jesus Christ is never in vain. So keep loving. Keep loving. Keep receiving the love of God. Keep giving the love of God. And know that he won't waste an ounce of it. Church, let's pray. Father, thank you for raising Jesus from the grave to triumphant life. Lord, Jesus, thank you for coming and living the life that we could never live. Jesus, thank you for dying the death that we deserve to die because of our rebellion against a holy, righteous God. Lord Jesus, thank you for triumphantly resurrecting from the grave. And you have said in John 10 that you have come that we might have life and have life abundantly. In you is life. (laughs) Oh God, I pray that right now, if there are any of my friends here that are skeptic, they're just wrestling with whether they believe this, Lord God, that you would help them to believe. Maybe they believed as a, as a young boy or a young girl, but now they're just so swept up with all these things in their life that they just can't see. I pray that you would give them a stunning revelation that this is indeed true and that this is where life is found. Oh God, I pray that you would do that. And for your church, Lord, Continue to help us to stand firm in this truth. Help us to live lives. Help us to live risky lives. Lives that just lay down for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God, and for the good of others, that we might be people who are known by our love. Help us to love one another. Help us to love this city. We ask in Christ's beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.